This week, we watched the 1961 film Breakfast at Tiffany's, starring Audrey Hepburn. The film starts off with the taxi pulling up to Tiffany & Co. on a very quiet Fifth Avenue in New York City. An elegantly dressed Holly Golightly, played by Audrey Hepburn, emerges carrying a paper bag with their breakfast. After looking into the shop's window while eating her pastry and sipping her coffee, she goes home. Outside her apartment, she fends off her date from the awful night before. Inside the apartment building, Holly can't find her keys so she buzzes her landlord, Mr. Yunioshi, who angrily lets her in. Later, she's awakened by her new neighbor, Paul Varjak, who rings her doorbell to get into the building, as he has also forgotten his keys. They talk as she gets ready to leave for her weekly visit to Sally Tomato, a mobster incarcerated at Sing Sing Prison. Tomato's lawyer pays her $100 a week which is equivalent to a rent-covering annual wage of $42,600 today to deliver, quote, the weather report. As she is leaving for Sing Sing, Holly is introduced to Paul's, quote, decorator, a wealthy older woman named Emily Eustace Fallinson, whom Paul nicknames 2E. That night, Holly goes out onto the fire escape to try to get rid of an overeager date. She peeks into Paul's apartment and sees 2E leaving money and kissing Paul goodbye. After she sees 2E leave, Holly enters Paul's apartment and learns that he is a writer who has not had anything published in five years. Holly explains that she is trying to save money to support her brother Fred. The two fall asleep but are woken up when Holly has a nightmare about Fred. When Paul asks her about this, Holly yells at him for prying into her life and leaves. Later, she buys Paul a typewriter ribbon as an apology and invites him to a party at her apartment. At the party, Paul meets Holly's Hollywood agent, O.J. Berman, who describes Holly's transformation from a hillbilly into a Manhattan socialite. He is also introduced to Jose, a wealthy Brazilian politician. As the next few days go by, Paul and Holly become closer. The next day, 2E comes to Paul's apartment, worried that she is being followed. Paul tells her that he will investigate and eventually confronts the man outside, who turns out to be Doc Golightly, Holly's estranged husband. Doc explains that Holly's real name is Lulu Mae Barnes and that they were married when she was only 14 years old. He wants to take her back to Texas because her brother Fred will be returning in a few months from serving in the army. After Paul reunites Holly and Doc, she tells Paul that the marriage was annulled. At the Greyhound bus station, she tells Doc that she will not return to Texas with him and Doc leaves town brokenhearted. After going to a club to wind down, Paul and Holly return to her apartment where she drunkenly tells him that she's planning on marrying Jose for his money. A few days later, Paul learns that one of his short stories will be published. On the way to tell Holly, he sees a newspaper headline saying that Jose has married someone else. Holly and Paul agree to spend the day together, taking turns doing things that the other has never done before, including visiting the library, stealing from a little convenience store, and going to Tiffany's. At Tiffany's, Paul has a ring from a box of Cracker Jacks, engraved as a present for Holly. The next morning, he awakens to find her gone. When 2E arrives, Paul ends their relationship. She calmly accepts, having earlier concluded that he and some other woman are in love. Holly schemes to marry Jose for his money, which makes Paul really mad. After Holly receives a telegram notifying her of Fred's death, she trashes her apartment. Months later, Paul has moved out. Holly invites him to dinner because she is leaving the next morning for Brazil to continue her relationship with Jose. However, they are arrested in connection with Sally Tomato's drug ring, and Holly spends the night in jail. The next morning, Holly is released on bail and finds Paul waiting, and they take a cab. He has her cat and a letter from Jose explaining that he must end their relationship due to her arrest. Holly insists that she will go to Brazil anyway and asks the cab to pull over and releases the cat into the ring angrily. Paul confesses his love for her and confronts her about her behavior. 
behavior, then gets out of the cab into the pouring rain and leaves, tossing the engraved Cracker Jack ring into her lap and telling her to examine her life. She goes through a decision-making moment, puts on the ring, and runs after Paul, who has gone looking for the cat. She searches the alley and finally finds the cat. Paul and Holly stand in the rain with the cat tucked into Holly's coat, look into each other's eyes, and share a kiss. And that's how the movie ends. So our main character, Holly Golightly, she is apparently only 19 years old in this film, even though the actress herself was 31. She is a seemingly insecure, uneducated, just scared girl in a city all by herself after getting married. She doesn't really know what she's doing with her life, I don't think. She's getting into things that she doesn't understand. Wants to be rich and famous, like have like a lot of money, go to Tiffany's, you know, just really be glamorous with her their stuff, but glamorous life. Yeah, but she's, I mean, she's really not. She'll do anything pretty much for money. She's just a hillbilly in a city mm -hmm. who doesn't know what to do. Yeah, and herself. she can't really trust anyone either. Like, exactly, yeah. She All she knows is life on her own. Because everybody she's associated with is, like, rich, famous, a criminal. Like, they're not good people at all. She mm -hmm. can't trust them. Throughout the movie, she ends up saying that she really doesn't know herself. Yeah, she and that's really pretty know, obvious. Mm -hmm, she doesn't know who her name is. That's what... She, yeah, she um, said, I'm not Holly, I'm not Lula May. She says, I'm not Holly, I'm not Lula May. I don't know who I am. Yeah, so she's really just, she doesn't know who she is. She has an identity crisis, and mm -hmm. she's trying to find herself. Paul Varjak is uh, her love interest, a neighbor that moves in that she gets to know. They kind of essentially become best friends in a way. Yeah. Um, and he really is able to get her to open up to him. And she's not used to that because she's so used to being on her own and not being able to trust anyone. She doesn't know how to open up to anyone. She doesn't really believe in love. Yeah. She always says that nobody belongs to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Paul is a writer. You you see him write maybe a few times. Sometimes she's his inspiration too. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much not a big... Yeah, he never seems yeah. to actually be at work. Yeah. He just seems to be... Following Holly Yeah, around. either following Holly around or 2E or whatever her mm -hmm. name is. Emily, I think, but call her 2E. Also, she is weird. Yes. She's old and she's like his boss apparently. She pays him randomly. Like they obviously have a relationship, but it's not necessarily romantic. It's more affair. An affair, yes. Okay, after watching this movie, I've realized how risque it actually is because I grew up watching this movie. I watched it all the time, but I wasn't old enough to understand what was actually happening. Mm -hmm. Like it's pretty bad, to yeah. be honest. But it's all like like low key, like it's not Yeah, it's very subtle. Really, yeah, it's very subtle. And this one surprised me because it is from the 60s. It's more risque than most movies from the time, I think. Mm -hmm. But like while we were watching it, we would stop and say, "Is that what we think is happening? Like, is that really happening? Is she selling drugs?" or something and then we'd look it up and realize yeah she's involved in a drug ring but she didn't even realize that she yeah. was involved in that but she still was kind of like this we kind of more so realized after looking up stuff about the movie even though they did hint at it but she was basically a call girl which is not good yeah. <laughs> and that explains why she had so many dates coming home with her and how she always had to fend them off and the part that confused me is when she always said like she always asked them for money for the powder room i'm not exactly sure what that means and i'm not sure i want to know what that means <laughs> But there's just a lot of risque things in a very subtle way. Mm -hmm. It was really weird. Like I said before, growing up, my mom always let me watch this movie and I had no idea what it was about. Yeah. Like I didn't realize that it was about horrible people doing horrible things. I just thought it was a cute, sweet movie about 
about people falling in love. It's so weird to me. Like, my mind is just blowing after watching it again. <laughs> so Holly, along with her not being, being able to, like, really find her own true identity, she has a cat, but she doesn't name it. She just calls it Cat. And she says that she doesn't name it because... She's, she said, he doesn't belong to me and I don't belong to him or, or something like that. We don't belong to each other, I think is what she said. She kind of, it kind of, like, symbolizes herself knowing that she doesn't know who she really is. Yeah. Or she feels like she doesn't really have a name. She's flip-flopped between names, and she doesn't really know her true identity and portrays that on the cat as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. So Holly's landlord is supposed to be Asian, but he is played by an American man. He's played by the actor Mickey Rooney, and... It is very noticeable. It's very noticeable, and it's very racist. Mickey Rooney wore makeup and a prosthetic mouthpiece to change his features to look more like a Japanese man. And since the 1990s, his portrayal has been subject to increasing protests by Asian Americans. Um, and for instance, the film is used as an example of Hollywood's racist depiction of Asians in the film Dragon the Bruce Lee Story in 1993, where the future Asian-American screen legend Lee sees the film with his girlfriend, only for her to suggest that they leave the screening upon seeing how upset he is at the film's content. In the 2006 short documentary Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Making of a Classic, the director Blake Edwards said that when the movie was made, he didn't think about the implications of casting an actor of European heritage Mickey Rooney in a role as a Japanese person. But he said that looking back, he wished he never had did it and he would have given anything to be able to recast it. So what were your feelings on the film? I was confused a lot. It might have been just that time period or, I don't know, the language. I think it's because they were so subtle in what was actually happening. Yeah, overall, I liked it. Like, yeah. it, it was good. Yeah. It was just, it was hard to understand. Yeah, but I know. I think if I'd watch it again, then I would be able to enjoy it more. Yeah, because you, you already know what was going on yeah. and everything. Yeah. I also love the aesthetic of it. Mm -hmm. And the quality looks really good. It does. The coloring was good. I remember like when it first came on, I said, what year is this? And I was really shocked. Yeah. It, was, it, did, it, it looked really well. Yeah. Done. So Audrey Hepburn, the star of the movie, she has been in a lot. She's one of my favorite actresses which I know is super cliche for white girls to say these days. <laughs> but she is. She's amazing, and not just as an actress, but as a person. Some of the movies she's in that are more well-known are Roman Holiday from 1953, Sabrina from 1954, and in the 90s they actually did a remake of that starring Harrison Ford, but obviously the, the original's better. <laughs> And then my absolute favorite, in 1963, we had Charade starring Audrey and Cary Grant. I'm pretty sure it's Cary Grant. And in 1964, we have My Fair Lady. And then 1966, we have How to Steal a Million. And those are pretty much the only movies of hers that I know. And I don't think there's really any other well-known movies of hers. She did a little bit of television, but nothing really worth mentioning. And then she did some stage work as well. She was in some theatrical productions. So George Peppard, he played Paul. He's not as well known, of course. Basically, most of the movies he was in made little to no impact and nobody really knows what they are, so they're not really worth mentioning. He was, however, in the TV show The A-Team from 1983 to 1987. He played Hannibal in that show, so he was a main character. Pretty much everything else it's just not worth mentioning. Apparently he was not easy to work with. Everyone hated him. Nobody liked to work with him. He was offered the role of Blake Carrington in the TV series Dynasty in 1980, but during the filming of the pilot episode, 
Peppard repeatedly clashed with the show's producers, among other things. He felt that his role was too similar to a role in the series Dallas, and three weeks later before filming was to begin on additional episodes, Peppard was fired and the part was offered to John Forsyth. The scenes with Peppard were reshot and Forsyth became the permanent star of the show. And Peppard said that it was a big blow, later adding that Forsyth did a better job than I could have done. So at least he, he you know, at least he knew that he yeah. sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But nobody really likes to work with him, which is interesting. So Mickey Rooney, he played the Asian landlord of Holly, um, even though he's white. He's a really, really good actor. He was one of the last surviving actors of the silent picture era. His movie career spanned 88 years, from 1928 to 2014. Wow. Yeah. And it continued shortly, right, like right before his death. During his peak years from the late 1930s to the early 1940s, Rudy was among the top box office stars in the United States. That's crazy. He made 43 pictures between the age of 15 and 25. That's only 10 years and he made that many. That's crazy. That's insane. So just to name a few of his films since he has so many, um, his first one in 1927 was Orchards and Ermine. Uh, 1932 was The Beast of the City. Holy crap. In 1933, he had one, two, three, four, five, six films that came out. That is insane. 1934, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in one year. That's crazy. That's crazy. 1935, one, two, three, four, five, six. In 1935, he was in A Midsummer's Night Dream as Puck or Robin Goodfellow. And a fairy, apparently. (laughs) Him as a fairy must have been funny. In 1939, he was in The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and he played Huckleberry Finn. In 1940, he played Thomas Edison and Young Tom Edison. But I think today, the most well-known movies that, like, our generation would know, he was in the Night of the Museum movies. I can't remember if he was in the third one. He might have died before then. But he played one of the, the old night guards in those films. He was the really short one. He was also, in 1970, he was uh, the voice of Kris Kringle in Santa Claus and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He was just in a lot of films. So now we're going to do some random trivia and fun facts about this film. So uh, about nine cats were used throughout the film as a role of cat, which is Holly Golightly's cat. That's a lot of cats. I wonder why. That must have been hard to, like... Find the same example. Yeah, and to yeah. train them. Mm-hmm. Holly's real name is Lula May, which means famous warrior born in the month of May. The name she chooses for herself is Holiday, which Holly is short for, and Holiday means born on a holy day. In real life, Audrey Hepburn's birthday happens to be on May 4th. Holly Golightly wears the same dresses all the way throughout the movie, simply changing the accessories to give each outfit a different look. Her black shift dress features through the movie at least four times. That's interesting. I wonder if that's because, like... They were showing how she's not as rich and mm-hmm. bougie as she yeah. portrays herself to be. Yeah, I so kind of noticed they all looked yeah, the same. Yeah, they all look the same. So she must just try to give the appearance that she has more efforts mm-hmm. than she does. Tiffany & Co. opened its doors on a Sunday for the first time since the 19th century just so that the film could take place inside the store and not on a film set. So, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's was originally a novella, and mm-hmm. the author, Truman Capote, was reportedly unhappy with the decision to cast Audrey Hepburn. His stated choice for the role was Marilyn Monroe. Consequently, Hepburn was very self-conscious when Capote was on set. Which makes sense, because in his novella, I remember reading that he actually described... Holly Golightly's character, 
perfectly as looking like like Marilyn Monroe. Like the way he described her sounded just like Marilyn Monroe. Okay. And like Audrey Hepburn is always known for like a more goody two shoe type character. And this character is supposed to be like a call girl, drug dealer, criminal girl. Yeah. So it it would make a lot more sense for Marilyn Monroe because she she's more known for those kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that that they did go with with uh, Hepburn instead. Mm-hmm. So we originally started this podcast because we had to do it for a class, but we really enjoy doing it. So this this podcast was supposed to be our last one, but we're going to try to continue doing it afterwards whenever we can. It probably won't be every single week anymore because life just gets really busy, but we're going to do it as much as we can. We're not going to do it next week because of Thanksgiving, but we plan the next week after that to do it on My Best Friend's Wedding from 1997 starring Julia Roberts. So if you guys want to watch that movie and then come back to us in a couple of weeks, we will most likely be doing a podcast then. I really enjoyed doing this podcast because it's really opened my eyes to some movies that I've never seen before. And I thought I've seen so many movies (laughs) because my family's like, they're movie buffs. But most of these ones I haven't seen before. I've heard of them, but this really gives me a chance to actually watch them. Yeah, I also like doing it because we're actually discussing the movie afterwards. Usually when we watch movies with people, like, we don't talk about it really afterwards. Mm-hmm. But this, we really get into depth talking about it. And get more details yeah. about it by research. Yeah, because we do the research and everything. So I think it's really fun to do. Mm-hmm. So when we actually have the time, we're definitely going to do it. So I'm Megan. And I'm Hope. And this has been Real, Real Talk. Talk.